at our men's retreat over the weekend, our speaker, Chris Merrill, among other things, he trained us up in a strategy that is quite similar to BLESS. And if you've been around here at Redeemer for any amount of time, you know about the BLESS strategy. Um, as we seek to be a people on mission with Jesus, where we live, work, play, and passion, we know that we are surrounded by people who do not know of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we seek to bless those people, to begin with prayer and just to pray for them, to listen as we ask good questions, to eat with them, preferably in our home, to serve them as their needs arise, and then to story, to share our story and the gospel story with them. And much like bless, Chris shared with us a strategy that he calls a fish. And he trained us up in it, and it was really, really cool. A, abide in Christ. That's where you have to begin, is fellowship with Jesus. And that's why among the marks here at Redeemer, the very first one is seek God. We want to be a people who seek God, who abide in Christ through his word and through prayer. And in particular, he talked about in that prayer to be praying for the men, women, and children far from God where we live, work, play, and passion. So abide in Christ. Second is fascinated. This was good because oftentimes we think we need to be fascinating as someone who is seeking to reach others for the sake of the gospel. We need to be a fascinating evangelist. We have to be really cool and hip and, and really good at communicating the gospel story. And he said, you know what? Much less than being fascinating, we simply need to be fascinated. And what he meant by that is fascinated by the people that we're trying to serve. To ask them questions, to get to know them. Abide in Christ. Be fascinated. I is interest, that as you abide in Christ and pray for them, as you're fascinated by them and, and asking questions and getting to really, really know them, you begin to gauge their interest in the gospel and maybe even try to create interest in the gospel. And he talked to us about that. And then share. Abide in Christ, fascinated with our friends, interest, gauging interest, creating interest in the gospel. And then, as God opens the door, share the amazing grace of God as it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, help. If that person believes in Jesus, we certainly then want to help them as they grow as new Christians. But maybe they hear the gospel message and they're not ready to respond to it yet. We still want to help them. We want to continue that relationship with them and by the grace of God, keep moving them more and more towards Jesus. Just like bless, I think it's a really, really good strategy. And I would say to you, pick one. Pick one and go for it. It's right in keeping with what we're learning in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the only historical sequel we have to the Gospels. Jesus has lived, died for our sins, been raised from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. 
What happened after that is recorded for us in the book of Acts. And what happened was Jesus ascended into heaven. And just like he said, he gave his spirit to his people to empower them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, which is still yet future, God's people are to be about the proclamation of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Most of us want to see this happen. We want to be a people who live on mission with Jesus, where we live, work, play, and passion. But so often, that mission, that desire can get killed. It can get killed by a number of things. We might call them mission killers. One is deception. That you and I, if we're not careful, we can get deceived. We begin to think things and believe things that simply are not true. And, and, and when we are, that can kill this idea of living on mission with Jesus. We might be deceived to think that the Bible, in fact, is not true. And that if it's not true, then the idea of living to see other people come to faith in Jesus Christ just all falls to pieces. We might be deceived into believing that, yes, God is all love, and, and therefore, there's not going to be a judgment in the future. And if we come to believe that there will not be a judgment in the future of those who are separated from God through their sin, that can kill mission. Sometimes, though, we might not be deceived. This one might get us more so. We get distracted. Instead of living to exalt Christ and to follow Him and to help others do the same, we get distracted in living for so many other different things. The Great Commission, the final instructions that Jesus gave to His followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That is the Great Commission. We're all familiar with it, and yet so often, and it's been tongue-in-cheek said, the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. Far too often, because we begin to spin our wheels in so many other pursuits. Super Bowl will be next Sunday, and we all love to watch the commercials Watch how many of the commercials encourage you and me to follow Jesus and help others do the same. Or try to convince us to spend our life and money on their stuff. It's the word of our sponsor again and again and again and again. Don't live for Christ. Live for the stuff of earth. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. One of the other things Chris did for us over the weekend, which was so powerful, is he took a long piece of tape and he ran it across the room. And he said, listen, this is the timeline of your life. And he held it right here. He said, here's where you were born. And here's where you will die. And this is eternity. 
And oh, how often we find ourselves just going for it here for the pleasure of here and now. We live for this rather than for that. We get distracted. Deception may get us. Distraction may get us. Discouragement may get us. Boy, I have to watch this one in my own heart. You labor, you pray, invite your friends, live on mission with Jesus, but sometimes you just don't see any fruit. Maybe you we can get our heads in the wrong place and, and we, we commit our lives to Christ and we feel like that's going to mean life will be easy for us. And then we find out that life isn't so easy. That it's filled with hardship and it's filled with trial. And if we don't watch out, if we get our expectations all goofed up, that can discourage us. Hardship hits, we struggle with sin, persecution for our faith. The temptation is to say, you know what, this whole idea of following Jesus and helping others do the same, I quit. Deception, distraction, discouragement, disqualification is another. That sin becomes so much a part of, of our lives that we talked about this the other a couple weeks ago, didn't we? That remember the you go into the grocery store and you see cure for cancer has been found on a magazine. Do you get excited or not? Well, it depends. Which magazine cover is it on? Is it on, say, U.S. News and World Report, or is it on National Enquirer? If it's on National Enquirer, you just you don't even open the magazine, you know, because why? It's just it's a tabloid magazine, and you know there's stuff in there that. If it's on a more respected magazine, though, and it says cure for cancer has been found, you're liable to pick it up and read it because there's some credibility there. We ask ourselves, is our life, are our lives U.S. News and World Report, or are they the National Enquirer? If our lives are the National Enquirer and they have no credibility, we can be disqualified from living on mission with Jesus. And then the fifth one, and the one we want to zero in on this morning, is dread, or fear, if you will. Maybe we're not deceived. We believe the Word of God. Maybe we're not distracted, or at least we're, we're doing a good job of pushing off distraction, and, and, and we're living for the stuff of heaven, the Great Commission. Maybe we're not terribly discouraged. That hasn't got us down in the dumps. And maybe our life has not disqualified us. In fact, maybe it is a light of the gospel in a dark world, but still fear. And it's fear oftentimes associated with loss. If I seek to represent Jesus in the world, I may lose a relationship. I may lose a friendship. I may lose a reputation. I may lose a job. I may lose, I may lose, I may lose. We fear loss. And so it's not necessarily I quit. 
but maybe it becomes our hush. One of the things that Chris did for us at the very end of his time together yesterday was, was just boom. After the weekend with him and after training us and encouraging us in a fish, abided Christ and fascinated, be fascinated with the people you're serving and interest, gauge their interest and share the story of the gospel and then help them wherever you might need to. He said, guys, I want to close with two things. He said, number one, you can do this. And I thought, boy, isn't that right? That's exactly what we say in this little thing. You've heard me say it before. In every one of these, begin with prayer. I can do that. Listen as you ask good questions. I can do that. Eat, preferably in your home. I can do that. Serve as, as you learn their need. I can do that. Story, tell your story in the God. I can do that. A fish, you can do that. He said, guys, you can do it. You can do it. But then, he said, number two, but it'll cost you. I immediately thought of my sermon. You remember the context from last week, the last couple weeks, Peter and John healed a lame man. He went from lame to leaping. And the crowds came a-running. And this gave opportunity for Peter to, to share the gospel of Jesus. And so he did. The holy and the righteous one who had been disowned and delivered over to death, but whom God raised from the dead, who was who was alive and was still at work and can still change people's lives if they will repent. He will wash away their sins and times of refreshing via the Holy Spirit will come and the hope of the day when all things are restored. Peter said, listen to this and don't turn away from it. Well, in chapter 4, you remember from last week, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them and they did not like that Peter and John there in the temple area were preaching Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And they took Peter, and they took John and they hauled him in and because it was evening, they threw him into a prison cell and essentially said, wait until tomorrow. The next morning, they all came together, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all who were of high priestly ascent, and they put Peter and John in the middle, and they essentially said, in whose name did you do this? And as we said last week, you remember, this was eerily similar to what had happened to Jesus, falsely accused, thrown, wait throughout the morning, and then the high priest and the elders and the scribes putting Jesus in the middle and interrogating him. And Peter and John are probably thinking, what happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. They crucified him. They're probably going to do the same or similar to us. And so we said, what, what's Peter going to do? In whose name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly answers, Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, the stone which you, the builders, rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And there's salvation and no one else but him. Peter did more than simply answer their question. <laughs> he took the opportunity to tell them more about Jesus. And the 
authorities said, you boys hang out right here. And they went into another room, if you will. And they said, what are we going to do? And essentially they came out and said, verse 17, in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, don't speak in this name anymore. Hey, you be the judge. We have to obey God rather than men. If you speak in this name anymore, this is going to happen. They threaten them. You lose. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so we pick it up in verse 23. When they had been released, they, Peter and John, went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So Peter and John go and they find their brothers and sisters in the Lord, their companions. They say, hey, everybody, let's tell you what happened. We were preaching Jesus and you know they arrested us and they put us in the center. And they said, in whose name? And, and, and we said, in the name of Jesus. And they went and conferred and they came back and they said, we have to stop preaching in this name. And we told them that we can't. And they said, if you do, you lose. Reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And here's their response. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. So they prayed with one accord. How, how did this look? Not exactly sure. Maybe they, maybe they did popcorn prayer, you know? All right, everybody, let's just pray. If you feel led to pray, you just pray. And one person would pray and they would all listen and they would agree. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Give us grace. Yes. Maybe representatives, maybe the, the apostles prayed and, and the others listened as their representative. Those apostles prayed and they, they listened and they agreed. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe they did it like, I've heard it called Korean prayer. And I've only been a part of it one time. Hey, everybody, just pray out loud where you're at. And it was pretty cool when I was a part of it that one time. Everybody was just praying out loud right where they were. I said, man, I can't understand anything anybody is saying because of all the chirping prayers that are going on. But who can hear them all? God can and maybe it looked like something different, but they are, they're of one accord. And they said, oh Lord, watch, watch this. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Oh Lord, the, the word is not kurios. 
It's not Yahweh or Jehovah. In this instance, it's O despotes. The despot. For us, sometimes that word has a negative sense to it. He's a despotic ruler. But at its core, the word simply means the sovereign one. The one who is in control. The one who is over all and there is none to threaten him or to challenge him. Oh, despotes, oh, sovereign Lord, you who are above and beyond and over all. Who made? Why is he above and beyond and over all? Because he created it all. It's you who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. For by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Why is there anything instead of nothing? Why is there something instead of nothing? Because of God. And why does that something have intricate design well-functioning, stunningly beautiful, and oftentimes mesmerizing. Heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and all that is in them has been created by God. This is the God to whom they pray. We can jump ahead. They're about to ask for courage and evangelism. That's what they're going to ask for. But where do they start? Oh, sovereign Lord. Who made all things. They're getting their mind right. Some of you remember Cool Hand Luke. You got to get your mind right. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of revelation. Verse 25. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father, or our father David, your servant said. And they're about to quote the Bible back to God from Psalm chapter 2. David wrote it, but the Holy Spirit was working in and through this human author of the Bible to produce the Word of God. It's from Psalm chapter 2. David, the king of Israel, was looking about at the nations and how they were raging against Israel, and against Israel's God, and against Israel's king. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. As David saw the enemies of Israel and the enemies of God and the enemies of the anointed one of God. He wrote about it. And that Psalm 2 has been interpreted through the ages, especially in light of uses in the New Testament like this, as prophetic of the ultimate king of Israel, the Messiah. 
So in verse 27, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. It's as if they're saying, I think, O Lord, sovereign Lord, despot, despotes, who created all things, you knew this was going to happen. You said it of your Christ, that the nations would rage and they would be against you and your Messiah, just as you said it happened to Jesus. And I think they're What's in their heart is, and just as it happened to Jesus, it's happening now to us. Jesus had said, essentially, like master, like follower. If they called the the head of the house Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? If it happened to our Christ, what might we expect as well. The rulers were gathered against them too, threatening them. So He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of revelation. He can reveal that which is to come and He's the Lord who works His sovereign will. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. You can keep your finger there, but this is a theme that's been rolling now in this book. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. We'll start in verse 22. This is Peter preaching. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know... This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This was God's plan. Was that his son, the Messiah, would come and be delivered over to death. In chapter 3, Peter's preaching in verse... We'll pick it up in verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one, asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And now in chapter 4, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they did exactly what your, your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. God, you are the Lord of creation. You are the Lord of revelation. You are the Lord of history. Now they get to verse 29. Now they finally get to their request. If you've ever been trained in prayer, maybe you've you've had someone teach you the Acts model of prayer. 
A-C-T-S. It's, it's these kinds of prayers that we find in the New Testament that, that give shape to some of that. What is the A? Adoration. It's where we ought to begin in prayer is, is adoring Him. You are, you are, you are. And then C, confessing sin. And then T, thank, thankfulness for all of the good gifts that he gives to us. And then finally, S, supplication. It's a fancy word for gimme, gimme, gimme. Supply my needs. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Now, Lord, now, now, here's what I'm asking of you. Here's what they ask. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence or boldness or courage. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's interesting to note they did not pray that God would remove their persecution. They knew that that was the lot of their Savior, Jesus. That he would be persecuted. That he would be rejected. That he would be crucified. And he had taught them that that was their lot as well. As they followed him, they could expect persecution, rejection, and maybe even death. So they didn't pray that God would remove it. Nor did they pray for revenge on their enemies. Never take your own revenge, the Apostle Paul said. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. They did ask that God would take note of it. Daryl Box says of that, the community leaves to God the moral judgment of the opponents and their actions. It doesn't, this community does not pray explicitly for opponents to be crushed, nor does it seek to be spared opposition. It asks to face the opposition and suffering faithfully. Take note. And, O oh Lord, grant that your servants may speak your word with all courage. There's their prayer. Don't take it away. Don't judge them, Lord. We leave that to you. In the midst of it, would you please give us courage not to go quietly into the night. Don't speak in this name anymore. You be the judge. We, we have to obey God rather than men. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Jesus has changed our life. If you speak in this name anymore, you lose. God, if I'm going to be faithful to Jesus, I may lose a lot. 
Would you give me courage? Would you give us courage? That's what they prayed for. There's an old hymn that in recent years has become more and more popular. It's called Facing a Task Unfinished. It's about seeing the gospel go to the nations. And one of the verses says, Oh, Father, who sustained them, meaning missionaries throughout the ages who have, who have served Christ faithfully in taking the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. Oh, Father, who sustained them. Oh, Spirit, who inspired Savior whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired. From cowardice, defend us. That's the prayer of this hymn. At least this line. From cowardice, defend us. From lethargy, awake. Forth on thine errands, send us to labor. For thy sake. Here's another hymn we're much more familiar with. This one struck me. I think maybe I'd seen this years ago, but I'd forgotten about it. And so it struck me again. That the first verse is an exclamation. or It's a, it's a proclamation of that which is true. But then the next four verses are all God speaking to us, his people. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Now the rest of this hymn is God speaking to us. Fear not, I am with thee, oh be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy trouble to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. I'm going I'm to put you through sorrow, but I'm not. I, I'm going to be there with you. And sanctify it. Use it. Even though it's your deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not harm thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's a wonderful hymn of God's gracious care for us in the midst of any and all kinds of trials. And of course, some of those trials, the fiery ordeals that you and I may have to go through, are those that are directly as a result of our faithfulness to Jesus. 
You get fearful. I get fearful. What will they think of me? What might I lose? What you and I need is courage. Where do we get it? From God. How do we secure it? Through prayer. It's time to go. But here's my challenge for us this week. Should God help us for the rest of our lives? Pray for courage. Watch this. Certainly for yourself, but also for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. They are praying for each other. Surely they're praying, Lord, I need it. But Lord, give it to my brothers and sisters too. Give it, give it to our community. We need courage. We are afraid. They are threatening us. We might lose. Don't take that away. God, will leave it to you to judge. What we need is courage. If we are going to live on mission with Jesus, we need courage. So pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for those in your community group. Pray for those in your discipleship group. Pray for your friends. That God would give them courage. As Matt led us over the weekend, just to take little steps into this life of helping others follow Jesus. Let's close with this. The words of Jesus from Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son, by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? If he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. I'm listening. Let's pray. Oh, mighty God. Oh, sovereign Lord. Oh, heavenly Father. You who will and work in the lives of your people. You who can stir up within your people by your mighty power. You can stir up love. You can stir up faithfulness. You can stir up courage. 
as we are so often faced with fearful thoughts about following you, would you please give us courage? That our friends, that our neighbors might know of the great love of God in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll close with this, and forgive me. I've got a buddy here in the church. I won't tell you who it is, but maybe one of these days I'll have him up here on the front. He came to know Jesus later in life, in his 30s. And his, his now wife led him to faith in Jesus. And to hear him tell his testimony and, and to listen to others of us Christians talk about how scared we get and how fearful we get, blah, 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 he goes, you know what? Nobody ever talked to me about Jesus. I think had somebody talked to me about Jesus in the right spirit, I would have listened to them. And when my wife finally did, I believed, and it's changed my life. But nobody ever told me about Jesus. Man. May God give us courage. You are loved. May the grace and the mercy and the peace of God be yours in fullest measure this week. And if we can help you in any way, please let us know. You are dismissed. Have a great day.